Psalm 19. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are their words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the earth. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices at a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from end of the end heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, even much fine gold. Sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his heirs? His heirs. Acquit me of all. Acquit me of hidden faults. Also, keep back your servant from sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless. And I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight and for our consideration this morning. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. When we say the name God, there is much that we can say. Again, when we say the name God, there is much that we can say. There has been close to maybe a million, if not more, pages from theologians throughout the history of time that have helped us consider the name God. And all that goes into who our God is. Saints of God, there is many passages of scripture that we can go to that describe who God is. But for our time together this morning, we will consider just two names of God that the psalmist David brings to us. That is God as our rock and God as our redeemer. God as our rock and God as our redeemer. David has, in the first half of these verses, did for us a theology of what's called natural theology. He has, he has shown to us how God has shown himself throughout creation. And then in the next section, from verses 7 through 13, it seems as if David... He just loses himself. It seems as as David, as he's reflecting on God and all things in relation to God, he, he just lets the pin go. 
And he gives to us, as as St. Paul does many times, he just goes off on this grand way of expressing who God is. I mean, consider what David says here, saints, that the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring our soul. That the testimony of the Lord, I love this one, is sure, making the wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The fear of the Lord is everlasting. The judgments of the Lord are true. And how true are they? They are, as David says, more desirable than gold. Not just the gold that we get, you know, from those those jewelry stores that sell fake gold. Not that, not that type of gold. He says that much fine gold. Then he says sweeter than honey. Than the drippings of the honeycomb. And then in verse 11 through 14, David then He looks inwardly. And oh, how one day we'll do a sermon just on this. David then looks at himself. Saints of God, when was the last time? And hear me now. You you did some introspection. When's the last time you you looked into the depths of your soul? Because David here, after he says all these things about the Lord, he says, your servant is warned. He says, acquit me of hidden faults. He says, keep your servant from sins and let them not rule over me. And then he says in verse 14, oh, beautiful words are these are. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. There are many words that you can say. And here David says, let my words, all my words be acceptable to you. Let everything that I say out of my mouth be pleasing to you. And then he ends it with this. This great, this great confession. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. How does a psalmist David describe this God whom we are to meditate on and who we are to, at in all areas, speak well of and have in mind? The psalmist says the Lord is his rock and his redeemer. Let's consider just these two names. First, he says God is a rock. Now, we have to ask, is it a false thing to say that God is a rock? Is it Improper to say God is a rock. Is it offensive to say God is a rock? Because we know that God is not literally a rock. So what is David doing here? Is saying that God is a rock the same thing as when we say God is good? God is most properly good, is he not? Or what about saying God is love? God is most properly 
love, is he not? Or what about when we, when God says and when we say that God does not change? God most properly does not change. When we read Holy Scripture, we are confronted with a host of ways God is described. Psalm 91, God is described as having wings. Proverbs 15, 3, he's said to have eyes. Hosea 10, or rather 11 and, uh, and 10, he, had, he is a lion. And Psalm 145, 9, God is good. Congregation, we know that all revelation comes from God. So what is God doing then when he is ascribing himself wings, eyes, and even saying, I'm like a rock? What is he doing? What is God doing? Essentially, what God is telling us is this, that everything in the created order bears some resemblance to God. That everything in the created order, everything in the created order bears some resemblance, some some similitude, some likeness to God. Now, what are you saying, Pastor? Because God created all things, because all things come from him. All things, all things come from him. All things then carry some likeness of the one whom they came from. So much so, saints, that you can say that if you want to know what God is like, then go outside. Simple, is it not? But if you want to know what God is like, just go outside. If you want to see some likeness of God without, you know, looking at humans, <laughs> go outside. Look at God's creation and you will see a piece of who God is. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that God is a tree or a tree is God. This doesn't mean that grass is God. So, you know, don't be scared in school. They would say, don't step on the grass. You know, you can step on the grass. You're not stepping on God, literally. But what it means is all the good and all the perfect qualities of trees and of grass, God possesses. Everything that is good about grass, everything that is perfect about a tree is in God. In other words, saints, take what's perfect about a tree. Take what's perfect about a tree. Take what's good about a tree, and you can prescribe it to God. And take everything that's evil and bad about a tree, everything that's imperfect about a tree, and you don't prescribe it to God. Simply put. Now, why do we only prescribe to God what's perfect and what's good about a tree or about a rock or about wings? Why do we do that? Why do we only prescribe to God what is perfect? Because, congregation, St. John tells us in 1 John 1.5, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. That is to say, within the being of God, within who God is, God is so perfect that no inch of imperfection can dwell. God is so perfect, is the simplest way I can put it, That no inch of imperfection can dwell. He is a pure light. 
that no that no potency of 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 dimness can be in him. And here's an important rule to remember, congregation, that for every similarity between God and creatures, there is an ever greater dissimilarity. Between every similarity that you find between creation and God and God and creation, there is also a vast dissimilarity. Hear me now, congregation. Creatures are like God because God created them. However, God is not like creatures. Again, creatures are like God because God created them, but God is not like creatures. So example, saints, when we say God is good, we're not merely saying that God is the cause of goodness, but what we're saying is whatever is good in the creature exists in God in a supreme and super preeminent way. That the the very goodness of your mother, the very goodness of your father, the very goodness of your child, you say this, that whatever good is in them is in God to its maximum level. Also, saints, this helps us make a careful distinction. Again, that God is not like us. That God is not like us. That God in his sheer mercy has allowed creation to bear some resemblance to to him. But God is above creation. God is above creation. Mm -hmm. And as we come to our text, when the psalmist says the Lord is a rock, he's not saying that God is literally a rock, but he's using a metaphor. In order for us to understand something about God, he's actually saying this. You want to know what God is like? God is a rock. So congregation, the way we are to first interpret this is that all that is good and all that is perfect about a rock, God is. All that is good and all that is perfect about a rock, God is. This this might make you like a rock's a little bit different after this section, a portion of the sermon. Now we have to ask, or first, let, let me let me just let me just stop here and say, isn't it a, isn't it such a great gracious condescension from our God to give to us simple words to to know what we experience in life? We all know what rocks look like, do we not? And God uses our experience of knowing what a rock feels like, what it is, and he says, I'm like that. What a great great condescension. As many, many theologians have said before, God speaks to us in such a baby talk. And he, and he speaks to us in a manner in which we can understand him because we can't know God. Truly, apart from him, condescending and coming down to our level. He says, oh, you know what rocks are, right? I'm like a rock. What a great condescension from our Lord. Great condescension. So we have to ask then, what resemblance does a rock have to God? What, what, what similarities are there between God and a rock? 
What is good and perfect about a rock? There are many things that we can say, saints. But for our time, when the psalmist says that this rock or a rock shares a likeness to God, what he's essentially highlighting is God's strength. God's strength. What is the similarity between a rock and God? Again, we can say many things, but for our time this morning, God's strength. God's strength. Think of a rock congregation. Think of the strength a rock possesses. The largest of rocks, if something happened, could squash you without even moving it, without even flinching. The largest of rocks could break us into pieces. Think of the rocks that many use in their walkways to their home. You know, you're going up to a home and you see these nice rocks leading up to the door. Those rocks, if thrown at us, hurt. They hurt really bad. In fact, what do we tell our kids? Especially RBC kids when they go outside. Don't throw the rocks. Rocks can damage because rocks have a sort of weird power and strength. And saints, here we see the similarity with God. If the largest of rocks carries strength and power, how much more stronger is our God? The Lord says in Jeremiah 32, 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too difficult for me? How much strength and how much power does our Lord possess, congregation? If you were to weigh the Lord's power and strength, what would it say? It would say infinite. There is infinite strength in God. There is infinite power in God. And throughout the history of man, God has shown forth how strong he really is. We know God is strong. And God, throughout Revelation, he tells us how strong He really is. The Lord in the beginning showed forth his strength by creating the whole universe out of nothing. He then showed forth his power by creating man from the dust and woman from man's rib. In the days of Noah, he shone his strength by flooding the earth by water. In the days of Moses, he shone forth his strength by by defeating the most powerful man on the earth, Pharaoh. And as we fast forward in redemptive history congregation, God shone forth his strength in the most mysterious and miraculous of ways. God shone forth his strength by becoming weak. God shone forth his strength by becoming weak. That is, the eternal Son of God assumes our weak in our frail, in our sinful flesh. And in such weak, and in such frail, and in such sinful flesh, the power of God was shown forth, was it not? In this one from Galilee, from Nazareth, from Bethlehem, in this this one, what good can come? This one shows forth the power of God. Sickness, 
was no match for God. For many who were sick were healed. Blindness was too weak for God. For many who have been blinded since birth were given sight. People who have never walked, Jesus says, get up. People who have been dead for four days, Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. Even the wind, even the wind and the sea was no match for our Lord. Do you remember, congregation, as the waters began to fill the boat, Jesus gets up while everyone's going crazy. What does he say? Hush, be still. But saints, our Lord's demonstration of strength came when he was the most weakest, was it not? On the cross. On a, as a crown of thorns was piercing our Lord's head, as seven-inch nails were hammered into our Lord's wrists and feet, as his body was beaten, hanging there on that tree, yet still congregation. While our Lord was at his most weakest, he was at his most strongest. Amen. Yet even still, yes. when he was beaten, Our great enemy was still no match for our Savior. Even at his most weakest state, the enemy was no match for our God. For it was through weakness. It was through the blood and by way of blood that victory over sin and the devil would be had. And it was through death that death itself was defeated. As Hebrews 2.14 tells us, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, so that through death he might destroy the one who has power over death, that is, the devil. The devil was too blind. He did not see this coming. He didn't know that through weakness, victory is had. He He didn't understand. He thought that by 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 bruising and by and by beating the Son of God, that he was in the prime position to take power. But little did he know that at Christ's most weakest moment in his life, he's still upholding the world by the word of his power. Amen. Saints of God is such in light of such truth, the question I have for you is this. Have you found God to be your strength? Have you found God to be your strength? Can you say like David, Lord, my rock? Amen. Many false preachers will say that following Jesus will bring you a life of health, wealth, and success. But saints... Just live a little bit. And you'll come to find out that is contrary to what we experience, is it not? Yes. Many of us are so beaten down from life. Oh, hear me, congregation. Many of us are so beaten down from our jobs. So beaten down from broken relationships. So beaten down from stress, from physical elements, and even the greatest thorn to our side, sin. No, no, following Jesus does not promise us a life of health, wealth, and success. 
Rather, those who follow Jesus can trust and they can have a most assured hope that God's strength will be sufficient for you. That's the great, that's the great, the great, that's the great diamond of following Jesus Christ. That those who follow Jesus Christ can know that God's strength will be sufficient in your time of need. That those who follow Jesus can trust that God causes all things to work together for those who love God. That those who follow Jesus can trust those sweet words found in 2 Corinthians 12, 19. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. As we close this point, congregation, do not find the world your rock. Do not find your prior success, your present success, and your future success, and whatever you are into, your rock. Do not find money your rock. Do not find your relationships your rock. Do not find your savings your rock, your job your rock, your children your rock. But only and solely the Lord is our rock. The Lord is our rock. And as we move on, David not only views the Lord as his rock, but also it gets a little bit sweeter. He says, my redeemer, my redeemer. And as we come to naming God redeemer, how are we to understand it? Just as how we understand God as a rock. What other words is it proper to call God a redeemer? Is it proper to call God a redeemer? Is calling God redeemer a metaphor? Like when we say God is a rock. Well, there is much that I want to say regarding this. But the name of God, or rather naming God redeemer, is a relational name. It's a relational name. Meaning, God's relation to you is one of redeemer. God's relation to you is one of Redeemer. And this is quite beautiful, saints. Oh, this is so beautiful. For remember what the Word says of our standing before God prior to Him saving us. Do you remember? Do you remember your position before God, before God saved you? Ephesians 2, 3, By nature, children of wrath. By nature, children of wrath. Meaning, saints, prior to God saving us, God's relation to us was one of a judge. We were awaiting hell. In fact, we were so close to hell that we could smell hell. We could feel the flames of hell. That's how close we were to hell. God had every reason to send us to hell for all eternity, did he not? But as Paul says so many times, but God... But God, but now, congregation, we can rejoice. We can rejoice for God's relation to us is not one of a judge. But God is our redeemer. God is our redeemer. Now, what does it mean to say redeemer? To redeem something means to regain something in exchange for a payment. One example is to pay for the return of a friend who's been captured by an enemy. 
There's a problem, though. Who's God in debt to? Who is God in debt to? Since we name God Redeemer, and we know that a Redeemer pays in exchange for one, who does God pay? Well, wrongly, some will say Satan. Wrongly, some will say sin. But I think the great church father, St. Augustine, said it best. You pay debts, though in debt to no one. You counsel debts while losing nothing. Oh, God is in debt to no one. We are in debt to God. We are in debt to God. And saints of God, here's the beauty and comfort in the message of the gospel. Here's the comfort. Is that God pays your debt. Maybe you didn't hear me first time. God pays your debt. Maybe you didn't hear me the second time. God pays your debt. This ain't, this ain't the 5,000 debt you owe to Capital One. This ain't the 20,000 debt you owe to Chase Bank. This ain't your student debt. This is an infinite debt. An infinite debt that you, no matter how good you are, could never pay back. And the Lord as our Redeemer is such a fitting name for him, is it not? Isn't it not fitting to call the Lord Redeemer? If there's anything the Old Testament says about God, it's that he's a Redeemer. God redeemed Israel, the Israelites from the Egyptians under Moses in the book of Exodus. He redeemed them from the Midianites under Gideon in the book of Judges. He redeemed them from the Philistines under David in the book of 1 Samuel. God redeems Israel from the Babylonians under Ezra in the book of Ezra. And when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son and redeemed another people. He redeemed us whom he calls true Israel. He redeems us and saves us from sin, Satan, and death. Saints, in light of such truth, do you, like David, find comfort in knowing that God redeemed you? Oh, saints, there's much you can know in this Christian life. But I pray that it is this truth here that just penetrates your soul to where when all else fails in your life, you can, you can turn to this truth. that God redeemed me. God saved me. St. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, the life I live, the life which I live uh, in the flesh, I live by, the front, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Here St. Paul gives the motivation of his life. What's the great motivation for all St. Paul did? This one who loved him and gave himself up for him. St. Paul lived his life from the vantage point of God as his redeemer. And saints of God, we are to live this way as well. 
And notice the personality that St. Paul says, God didn't just love the world, he loved me. He loved me. Congregation, when was the last time you just stopped and said, wait a minute, God loved me and gave himself up for me. Oh, we are to live in light of this, saints. Our whole lives are to be a service unto God. And when I say that, don't take it, you know, out of bounds, service unto God. We don't obey God by and aims to try to pay him back. That's not why we obey. That, Lord, you'll, you save me, I'm going to pay you back by obeying you. No, that's not why we offer obedience. But rather to demonstrate our love and gratitude for what he did for us. Saints of God, hear me now. God loves you. God loves you. And again, maybe you didn't hear me the first time or the second time. This is not your wife loving you. This is not your child loving you. This is not the president loving you. This is not your favorite actress, actor, your favorite whoever loving you. God loves you. Loves you. And he loves you so much that he said, I will no longer relate to you as a judge. But I will be your redeemer. I will be your redeemer. As we close congregation, remember these two truths of God that we've considered today. God is our rock. He's our redeemer. It's been said that Muhammad Ali was boarding a plane. And just before takeoff, the stewardess reminded him, hey, champ, you, you need to fasten your seatbelt. We're about to we're about to leave. Ali, with his charm and wit, said to her, Superman don't need no seatbelt. The stewardess then replied, champ, well, Superman don't need no plane either. Fasten your seatbelt. The story reminds us, saints, that we are not as strong as we think we are. All it takes is one phone call. All it takes is one letter in the mail. All it takes is one meeting. All it takes is one trip to the doctor's office. For life to remind us ever so quickly that we are not as strong as we think we are. But thank the Lord, because we have a rock who is our God. And that's the one whom we stand on as we will consider next Sunday morning that we hide in. He's also our Redeemer. And Jesus says, if I take care of the birds in the nest, if I take care of the lilies in the ground, the field, do you not think I will take care of you, my children? Saints of God, let these two truths about our Lord penetrate into your minds and hearts and souls. And I pray that this will be the meditation that you have and that we have for all eternity. Let's pray.